Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers, and Embedded is back. And we recently realized it's hard to assess a politician who has virtually no political record. But with Donald Trump, we tried anyway. And we wound up with stories and lessons from the record he does have in business and on TV. Listen on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Linda. Glenn, you're a fan of John Hodgman, the writer and comedian listeners might recognize from The Daily Show and lots of other projects. I am, and I have been for a long time. He's also the host of the Judge John Hodgman podcast, which you and I both like a lot. That's right, we do. And he was the guest at our live show in New York this spring. He was, and he was dependably great. His book, Vacation Land, is just out now, so it's the perfect moment to bring you the conversation that I had with him at that show about the book, about his podcast life, and about how men in heteronormative relationships are terrible monsters. So stick around for my chat with John Hodgman, recorded live at the Bell House in Brooklyn in May of this year. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from ABC. With Marvel's Inhumans, where on the dark side of the moon exists a civilization of Inhumans, with two brothers battling for one throne. Experience the first chapter of this new saga now in IMAX theaters. Get tickets now at BeInhumanInIMAX.com and watch the complete series on ABC, Friday, starting September 29th. Marvel's Inhumans. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. So people who listen to the show for a long time know that Glenn and I have spoken uh, frequently about how much we enjoy Judge John Hodgman. Oh, that's why my ears were burning. They were? Yes. I hope so. Also, I was sleeping on an oven. <laughs> and uh, you still, do you still enjoy uh, mediating disputes with strangers? I, I love mediating disputes with strangers. The premise of the podcast is strangers call me with disputes, and I mediate them. The disputes range from the mundane to the mundane. <laughs> they usually involve domestic partners arguing about laundry or dishes. That's very uh, often true. Almost to the point where I've had to put a moratorium yeah. on all dishwashing issues. Yeah. A huge number of disputes over how to watch television with your partner. Yes. Some partners get angry. Other partners are, are doing a needlepoint during the TV show? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and it's gotten to the point, there are a couple of, th- you know, after five and a half years and 300 odd episodes, what I've discovered, there's a lot of data points. And I don't like to generalize, but I've now got a big cloud of data. And I can say that in heteronormative couples, husbands are terrible monsters all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Dudes are coming up with all kinds of weird theories for why they should be allowed to be lazy and bad. And we'll fight to the death over them. Yeah. And then the other, the other thing I've determined is uh, people just shouldn't watch television together, ever. Yeah. You and, uh, you and Jesse have, I think, identified a general pattern about mostly dudes yeah. wanting to find a new way of doing things that's not the socially accepted way. Yeah. But it's their new special way. Yeah. For example, what if you work in an office and you have a dude in the office who doesn't want to wear shoes around the office? <laughs> that's the one that I am going to be bringing. It's Sam Sanders. <laughs> I was just talking backstage with Linda Holmes about a colleague of hers at National Public Radio. This is not local public radio. This is the big deal. National. There's a, a, a gentleman. I, Sam Sanders. I, I did. 
I don't even know why I called him a gentleman, who walks around the office all day in his socks and has True. a lot of theories about why that is the right thing to do. And I, uh, I was uh, absolutely disgusted. Yeah. And I cannot wait to hear his incredibly complex theories as to yeah. why that's great. We're going to have to do that. So, so you mentioned earlier uh, that all books should be read by tearing out every page. Yes. I'm going to take a leap here. You had a job where you tore pages out of books. Is that correct? That is, is that true. Not true. That is true. And I still, I, you know, so I love jobs. Uh, <laughs> I've always loved working because, you know, and love working at lots of different jobs because like travel and you get to peer into different different worlds and you get to meet different people and, and go and do different things. And lots of times the reasons for the jobs I did were opaque to me and I did not care. And one of the first jobs I had when I moved to New York City was I worked at a temp job at St. Martin's Publishing. My friend Sam Potts, the designer of my books, who was not, who was just working there at the time, got me this job and the job was to sit in a lonely room in the Flatiron Building with a, co- a paperback copy of David Mamet's Oleana and tear out the pages. Now, <laughs> frankly, that was payment enough. <laughs> but I was actually getting paid good money to do this. And then to take the pages, I had two copies, actually, of Oleana, because I would take the pages, I would uh, tape them down onto pieces of uh, printer paper, and then number those with a with a sequential stamp stamp. So so you know one two three and the stamp was an amazing ingenious device. I've never seen anything like it ever since. But you would stamp it down and then it would automatically advance to two. And then I would take the the page from the second book, flip it over, and tape that down, essentially to create a manuscript copy of this printed book for reasons unknown. Right, and and so so it's still I, a mystery. So I ask you, why do I know this about you? Oh, you didn't tear the pages out of my book. You read them by mistake. That's correct. Thank this you. This would be your upcoming book, Vacation Land. Yes. Tell me was... about Vacation Land. I had written three books of invented trivia and humorous fake facts. That was what I built my career on. Uh, now everyone's doing that. So <laughs> I had to move on to something new in my career. And once fake facts were taken from me, all I was left with was the, uh, the terrible, awful truth of my life uh, as a middle-aged, weird dad with a terrible beard. I'm sorry about my beard. I'm sure everyone who's listening to the podcast can hear how bad it looks. I was compelled to grow it, as all middle-aged dudes are compelled to grow their beards, especially once they become dads. They have to grow some facial hair to signal to uh, the world, I'm all done. It's an evolutionary signal to the remaining mating population. I have had children. They're out there. No, thank you. I, uh, I, my, my genetic material is out there. I no longer deserve physical affection. It's time for me to move on to, to new hobbies, my new weird dad hobbies like puns and World War II trivia and hiding out in the woods. And Vacation Land is a, is a book of true stories about me a highly citified asthmatic person hiding out in three different wildernesses, western Massachusetts, rural western Massachusetts, where I spent a lot of my youth, and then coastal Maine, where I've been instructed by my wife, I will accept my death, and then uh, the wilderness, the metaphoric wilderness of middle age that connects those two uncomfortably. Mm-hmm. 
do you think of yourself as a New England chronicler at this point? A, a lot of the book, the second half of the book, is about Maine, where my wife and children and I have been spending more of our time. Maine is called Vacation Land. That's the title of the book. It's been a, the nickname of Maine for many years. I think it started as a cruel joke because I think when they invented Maine in 1820, they didn't know what vacation was. People didn't go on vacation well until the 20th century, late mid 20th century. People didn't go on vacation because they were too busy, you know, uh, working on the farm or uh, or managing a shirtwaist factory that they had to burn to the ground or whatever it was they were going to do. <laughs> vacation was only a luxury that was enjoyed by certain a certain small population of wealthy Bostonians, and their idea of vacation was to go north to a cold, dark place. Right. To drink martinis and not talk to their families and stare out over bodies of water that you would never, ever go to swim in because the oceans of Maine are made of hate and they want to kill you. Can't, can, cannot swim in it. Cannot swim in it. No, we used no. To, we used to vacation there. Yeah. Where did you go? Rockland. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Rockland Rockland, area. sure. Yeah. yeah they have, Spruce they, Head Island, they, specifically. They, oh, okay. I don't, there are a lot of islands in Maine. Yes, there are. Uh, Rockland, they build boats there. That's all I know. Yes, they do. My wife, however, loves Maine more than any other place or, frankly, person on earth. And so we would go there every year to visit her father-in-law and her relatives up there. And I would always stop at a place on the way called Perry's Nut House, which was not, to my dismay, an old-timey lunatic asylum by the side of the road. But it was a place that sold nuts and fudge and gewgaws. And and they always had a, a section called Maine Humor. Maine Humor is a very specific subcategory of arguably subcategory of humor, which usually involves people from Maine giving other people from away bad directions. And that's the whole joke. (laughs) And it's not humor that is designed to be funny, exactly. But it just elicits a low, deep chuckle, so dry and so, so deep within you, you don't notice it's happening. I find humor that abdicates its need to be funny to be offensive because on the one hand it's lazy, on the other hand that's kind of my thing. <laughs> but at, throughout my 20s and 30s, as I, we would drive up there, I would always look at that section with perverse interest because I would, I would see all these dudes who had this career in main humor and I would say to myself, no matter what was going on in my career, at least I'm not that. At least I'm not a guy on stage telling stories about Maine. (laughs) It is our destiny to become what we most loathe. And I am embracing that destiny now. You know, there's a quality to the book that I think is also a little bit a quality of the podcast, which is the book is funny. Thank you. But the book is... (laughs) But the book is also really like kind. I mean, the book is thoughtful. The book is not purely a silly book. The book is also yeah. a really thoughtful and, and kind of interesting book. When you hang around with a lot of comedy people and think of you, people think of you as hanging around with a lot of comedy people. Do people that's a, ever... That's pers- about my reputation. Oh, that guy hangs around with comedy people. <laughs> oh, you mean that comedy adjacent guy, John Hodgman? Yeah. I know him. Do you find that people expect everything to be funny when some things are funny and some things are earnest. You know, it's interesting. I, um, when I was writing the, the books of fake facts, my goal was make it funny and the rest will follow. Any other ambitions that I had in terms of telling a story or being interesting or having incredibly deep thoughts, 
didn't matter. It was just make it funny first and the rest will follow. And I, and I feel that that's usually true. In the same way, I've not written a novel, but I do feel like write a good story and, and let the themes come forth from there. By the time my books were over, I was already starting to do the podcast. And I was really looking for an opportunity to not be arch and glib and to be an exaggerated version of myself like I was on the on the Daily Show, but to just have fun talking to human beings out there in the world and not worry about being funny too much, but at least taking interest in what other people were saying and doing, which is, to me, the great joy of the podcast. I feel that the podcast allowed me to get to, to make contact with an audience who w- didn't hate hearing all of me, yeah. um, didn't hate hearing an honest version of me. And once I was grateful enough to find those people, I, it, it empowered me to, to try writing in a different mode, in a much more straightforward and vulnerable mode, as this is. So, uh, boy, I really appreciate you doing this. Oh, that's my pleasure. This is so much fun. Seems it just feels like a wrap-up to me. <laughs> thing I don't know how this is done I I know you do oh, so I know much you fun. do so uh, much fun we really ladies and gentlemen we very <laughs> <laughs> such a pleasure to talk with you Linda Holmes thank you, Linda Holmes ladies and gentlemen I'm John, John Hodgman. Hodgman thank you so much Vacation Land publishes October 24th that's right from Viking Books you can pre-order at bit.ly slash painful beaches also listen to Judge John Hodgman on the Maximum Fun Network. That's MaximumFun.org or bit.ly Judge John Hodgman.